With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. This is our common ground. Alternative activists. Empowerment. Talk Radio. Speaking truth to our and ourselves. Who are you? You don't know. Don't tell me Negro, that's nothing. What were you before the white man named you a Negro? And where were you? And what did you have? What was yours? What language did you speak then? I am a revolutionary. It's about what we didn't do. Amen. Then it speaks to us and the possibility for us as a future person. Because ultimately, our people's future resides on what we do outside of the White House. African descent fairly, America failed. She put them in chains. The government put them on slave quarters, put them on action block, auction blocks, put them in cotton fields, put them in inferior schools, put them in substandard housing, put them in scientific experience, experiments, put them in the lowest paying jobs, put them outside the equal protection of the law, kept them out of their racist bastions of higher education, and locked them into positions of hopelessness and helplessness. The government gives them the drugs, builds bigger prisons, passes a three-strike law, and then wants us to sing God Bless America? No, no, no. Not God Bless America. God... Our Common Ground with Janice Graham. Our Common Ground, speaking truth to power and ourselves. Our Common Ground, a higher ground for discourse, discussion, solutions, and ideas. I'm Janice Graham, and I'll be listening for you. Talk, talk, that matters. Transforming truth truth to power. One broadcast broadcast at a time. And now to Our Common Ground with Janice Graham. Thank you. Thank you for Harlem and all the kids in the band. And as I said before, they all want you to know that we do love you madly. I did forget to mention about Harlem that we're, there are a lot of nice people in Harlem, there are a lot of naughty people too, but we are represented in Congress by a minister. Another great distinguished, uh, uh, a rather eminent personage happens to be with us tonight. Well, he's uh, 
Oh, one of the most important people in our group. He's very seldom seen in public appearances, but he's always heard. It's my pleasure to introduce the eminent composer, orchestrator, Billy Strayhorn. A flat, A flat for Billy Strayhorn, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Billy Strayhorn, my writing and arranging companion. He wrote our theme, uh, Take the A Train. And now we'd like to do a very special operatic version of Take the A Train. Ellington's classics include Don't Get Much, 
get around much anymore, mood indigo, and I let a song get out of my head and, of course, catch the A-train. He was born April 29, 1999, as Edward Kennedy Ellington in Washington, D.C., with his father a Methodist and his mother a Baptist, the Duke's upbringing had strong religious influences. He was an artistic, reported to be an artistic child. Uh, he passed up an art scholarship to study at the Pratt Institute in Brooklyn, New York, in order to devote his time to his first love, music. And uh, we are so glad to know and enjoy the legacy of the Duke. Ellington's legacy is that he remains one of the greatest talents in all of jazz. He was a recipient of numerous Grammy Awards throughout his career. And in 1959, he was awarded the Spring Art Medal from the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People. He was nominated for the Pulitzer Prize in 1964. The city of New York gave him a prize, and Yale University awarded him a Doctor of Music degree in 1967. Morgan State and Washington Universities also gave him honorary degrees that year. On his 70th birthday, Ellington was honored by President Richard Nixon at a White House ceremony and was given the Medal of Freedom. In 1971, he was elected to the National Institute of Arts and Scientists. Ellington continued to compose and perform until his death from lung cancer on May 24, 1974. Duke Ellington was part of my childhood. He was um, friends of my family. My father, also a musician of sorts, uh, was enchanted by the Duke. And uh, I am just so pleased to be able to open up this program tonight uh, in celebration of his birth. And we thank him for the treasures that he gave to us. How are you, all of you out there in on our common ground? Tonight at Open Mic Night, we're going to try to get through some of the things that we covered for the month, uh, as you will remember. Um, we started out the month with um <coughs> excuse me we started out the month with um you know i i have got to get myself a cough button <laughs> we started out the month with uh our wonderful sister dr ruby sales um in 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 talking about a number of things but specifically her project relative to um, children and abuse and uh, murder under law. We also had a visit from Matthew Fogg, who is the former Chief Deputy U.S. Marshal Special DEA agent and one of the top federal whistleblowers in this country. They told him that he could not tell, but he did 
anyway about the war on drugs, and we thank him for spending some time with us. And that program, you can find it if you missed it, in our archives here at Our Common Ground or in our archives on our website. We also had a wonderful visit um, about this Hands Off Our Children field report from uh, Dr. Ruby Sales when in Washington, D.C., the names of all of the children, 256 black children, were written on scrolls and presented to members of our Congress. And we're going to revisit some of that. Uh, we also, uh, on last week, celebrated the music and the life of Prince. Um, making tribute to him, and we'll be revisiting some of those. And with Yvette Cornell of BreakingBrown.com, Pascal Robert of the Black Agenda Report, and with Dr. Tommy J. Curry of Texas A&M, we covered a number of uh, topics. But tonight I want to bring some other things in. I, last Saturday we were treated with what has been described and is being reported as one of the most intriguing set of music, a video album by Beyonce, and it is called Lemonade, and we're going to be talking uh, some about that. The nation was also, last year, uh, shocked at the... Um, arrest and and conviction of Dennis Hassert, the former Speaker of the House, and uh, he has been convicted and sentenced to uh, to 15 months in prison. And we're going to talk about that because I think it has a lot to do with disparities in the law. It has a lot to do with things, with items and issues that we have tried to grapple with around how our laws are formed and how they are applied and and the preferential treatment in which some get relative to those laws. Um, We also want to uh, talk a little bit about our president. Recently, um, the president discussed the movement Black Lives Matters Uh, when he was speaking at a London town hall. And um, Lawrence Ware, one of my comrades, wrote a piece called Tell the Negroes to Wait, President Obama plus Black Lives Matter and Compromising with White Supremacy. Of course, because it is open mic Saturday night, you need to write this down. Our number is 347 838-9852. Write it down, 347-838-9852. And for those of you who are trying to find us, we're at blogtalkradio.com backslash OCG. There are friends and comrades in our chat room, and they keep it quite heated in there. Um, There are are some other things that um, I want to talk about tonight, and uh, one of them is that the Internet has almost crashed between Lemonade by Beyonce or Hashtag Lemonade by Beyonce 
and um, stories about Lil' Kim. Many of you might not even know who Lil' Kim is, but Lil' Kim is a very um, celebrated rap, hip-hop artist, and um, people are talking about her skin bleaching and face and body modification. It gets a little hairy. But you, I'm sure, have items on your mind. For instance, I'm very interested in the current positioning of the Bernie Sanders campaign. And uh, last month we had his uh, surrogate, um, former uh, Ohio State Senator Nina Turner with us. And she talked um, in detail about her support of the Bernie Sanders campaign. And now that we are about to come to the edge of people getting serious about election 2016, we're interested in and invite you to join us at 347-838-9852. Who did you vote for? Why? And uh, what are we to do? Um, the forecast is that Hillary Clinton will be the Democratic National Committee nominee. It is also reported uh, in many places that it will be the black voters who will be the deciding challenge on the Democratic side. And uh, there are, according to most polls, a great deal of black voters who support Hillary Clinton. We've talked about that a lot. We'll talk some more about it tonight because it's part of the April Rewind. So why don't we get started? We're going to go through where we've been this month, and then I'll take your calls. This is Talk Radio. You have to call 347-838-9852, and I will be happy to talk with you, and you can help us move the conversation. This is Discourse decision-making, decision-making information. And I'm Janice Graham, and I'm grateful to have you with us tonight. of the black political media elite is completely in the tank for Hillary Clinton. That's the reality. Who, who are the critical voices of the Clinton machine? Why, you know, I mean, even, even unfortunately, the black left has not taken up the, the mantle of really, you know, challenging what the Clintons represent as the potential political future for the leadership of this country. Instead of you know focusing on Sanders and his you know his non capacity to fulfill the, uh, the the needs of the black community, I mean for me, quite frankly, for a variety of reasons, and I think it's obvious. 
from the history of the horrid policy that Bill Clinton put forth that affected African Americans predominantly in a negative way, from the, the, the horrible stewardship that she took over at, as Secretary of State, from Libya to Honduras to her role in Haiti, to uh, her connections to Wall Street, to the corrupt slush fund of the Clinton Global Initiative, there is no question that anyone who has any kind of objective sense or barometer of what is sound politics should question not only whether or not this woman should be president, whether or not she should be locked behind bars for the kind of activity that they've they've taken on. But who in the black community is willing to say what it needs to be said to avoid being, you know, taken off the Clinton gravy train? But they're scared of the gender politics, Pascal. Right? I mean that's I mean that's that's the push, right? The question the, the symbolism of Clinton is political onto these kinds of shows. And because of the level of intellect and depth that many of these shows have and a concern for black people, she doesn't get pushed on the hard questions. Uh, she's not getting pushed on her visions for things that actually affect black people. Uh, welfare reform, TAF, economic policies, criminalization. You know, she's constantly apologizing for the crime bill, but we don't see how she's really distanced herself from that. We see her connections to Wall Street, so what does that mean? When, 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 when you see white people and their bubbles bursting and they're falling down to the lower class, how do we think that she has a program of economic or social uplift for lower class black and brown people in the first place? So to not be pushed on any of those programs or not be pushed on any of those policies uh, is a huge problem in, in my view because this again shows that the only reason that black people really vote for candidates isn't because of what they do for black communities, isn't because of their uh, intellectual or philosophical outlook on the problems that are affecting poor communities. It's really whether or not they like them. And this is the problem that I have with the, you know, Militaris Paris recently went to L. You know, you've had some puff pieces on Clinton come out in Cosmopolitan, um, black black feminists, and this is what they're doing, right? The thing that Frazier was saying is that Hillary Clinton appeals to economically mobile white feminists under the advancement of their own interests. And what black people have done is they've been sold on this image, and they're letting the black bourgeoisie speak for them and sell them the kind of powder puff view of Clinton where she's down for black people, and she's down with Beyonce, and she's getting information because she keeps hot sauce in her purse. It's the most, it's the most intellectually insulting and, and racist stereotype that I think that you could put on a black community that's faced with high lows of unemployment employment, poverty, health care crisis, and, of course, police brutality. Uh, this is just silly. She was there for She went where she was there for She knew where her bread was buttered and it wasn't in the ghetto. She comes, you know, and we all know how easy it is. We've all talked to, we've all talked to you know, to a large extent about how easy it is to, to just neutralize, you know, not, not just black people. We're talking about poor people, people who are disproportionately poor, you know, what that takes. But what really struck me, in terms of you have this woman who is still being investigated by the FBI, and you have Barack Obama basically coming out and saying, leave her alone. And it's so ironic when you consider the fact that Obama himself was a community organizer, and and, and from what I can tell, not necessarily a a very effective one. But there was a CNN documentary I mentioned earlier that they played like in 2008-2009 when Obama was was either had become president or, or shortly before he became president. And it had him at this community meeting. And the people were going back and forth, and he wanted this one older woman to speak. And you saw him in the back of the room just screaming, let her speak, let her speak. There you are, Barack Obama screaming. So as a community organizer, who was a community organizer who was much older than these kids are, than a lot of these kids are right now, but, you know, but you're telling us to be quiet. And the, thing that, the other thing that got to me is that, you know, when LGBT activists interrupted both him and his wife 
when when you had and when you had immigration activists yell at him and, and and you had kids in schools interrupt him and say yes we can as a form of advocacy in terms of immigration um, and what he needed to do on immigration he never said you all should just you know should basically stop doing that and get in the room he, he mm-hmm. never really said that they were never chastised in that way and to me this is just his parting blow this is what he's always done this is the same guy who got in the room at the Congressional Black Caucus now I'm not a big fan of the Congressional Black Caucus I think they're part of the problem they're part of the blackness leadership they're blackness leadership functionaries. But he got in the room with, like, former Black Panthers, John Lewis, who was a civil rights activist, and he told these people, remember, you know, you need to march with me. Put your, take your bedroom shoes off or Take your bedroom shoes off. Mar- yes, and put your march shoes on. Now, you, that's just how you talk to the CBC. And, but this is how, these are people who actually did march. And then people who are being activists today, this is how you talk to them. But you don't talk to anybody else that way. So, I mean, I think the guy just, you know, I've said this before, and I take slack for it, but he doesn't really care for African-Americans or the African-American tradition. He wants to, I think he has know. a visceral contempt for black people. I, without a doubt, I think he has I've a lot of contempt for poor black people. He seems to do well yep. with the elites. Yeah, I, mean, I think he has an affinity with the elites because he's one, but I think he has a very, very profound contempt for poor and working-class black folk. Right. Yeah, I'm with you on that. And I think the Morehouse speech speaks about that wholeheartedly. Right, that's why I'm saying that I think the criticism is set up in a way where Hillary becomes the alternative to it. I mean, you've got to remember, this is Obama's endorsing a person who, when she ran against him, said that America is not ready for a black president and black leadership. Obama's endorsing a person that amidst police brutality and shootings is saying that don't you really know that black men in hoodies are dangerous, right? So if this is the conversation, and that's what Obama's endorsing, that he sees himself as separate from those conversations, or at least unaffected by it. And I think that's a very, very dangerous message uh, to be given a, a nation where you have this increase of anti-black violence and poverty. Because Obama's not, Obama's leaving the White House, so he doesn't really have any other alternatives to give black people, you know, unless he, you know, these pardons go through. So outside of that, then the only way that you can get any kind of traction is going to be the black community believing that Obama is co-signing with Hillary Clinton. And again, this is what I'm saying about the product placement. We don't have black intellectuals and activists. Who Why have people lost respect for us? What does it mean for people to luxurate in materialism and lose their children? Why in the world would we allow white people to beat our children? Why in the world would we allow our children to be expelled from school for wearing their hat to the left when it should be turned to the right? Why would we allow the fashion of our children to be criminalized? Our children can't even dress a certain way, or their dress and fashion is criminalized. When we talked about the hoodies, it was the criminalization of hoodies and the criminalization of dressing that that, that that represents, and we need to begin to analyze on a very deep level what it is we're looking at. We talked about the hoodies, and we talk about telling our children not to go out in hoodies, but the fundamental question is the criminalization of black children's fashion. What I said was, if I'm working with a bigot with a badge, and I'm working right next to him, and he's treating me this way. Imagine what he's doing to the people who don't carry a badge and a gun. So mm-hmm. we, we see all these stories that are coming out now where we're hearing the FBI uh, convicted so many people because that, that lab, a lot of their uh, um, testimony was wrong in their labs. 
information was wrong. We're now hearing all these cops coming forward. Uh, we find out Chicago planted drugs, all these birds departments planted drugs and set people up and used the, they used the system. It's like the movie 12 Years of Slavery. I never saw it, but they said the guy was free and then somebody grabbed him and made him a slave again. Solomon that's Northrup. That's exactly what it was. Right, and that's, and that's what we got today. You know, yes, somebody sir. thought... Somebody try to say you're free? No, we weren't free. They just run away and made us slaves again. But let me interject uh, one of the things, one of the factors, and we really advocate for people to think more clearly and deeply about this, is that some of you out there who are listening also think you are free. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I was a student this, at MIT. And had handcuffs on. <laughs> what do you mean, said so, again? No, I said I was a student at MIT and was oh, okay. stopped in the city of Cambridge, Massachusetts. And the first thing they did was they didn't want to hear what I was saying. They put handcuffs because I was somehow dangerous because my afro was too big. Right. Yes, we're all born with a lottery ticket these days, and it can happen to any one of us at any time. Nobody is safe. I would like to just finish this off by saying thank you, uh, Sister, for allowing me to ask these questions, and thank you, Brother Matt, for answering them. And I would also just say that in considering reform and abolition, if you're thinking of reform, then you're thinking that what we're dealing with is a mistake that can be corrected, that people made uh, errors in judgment. If you're thinking as an abolitionist, you think that this was done on purpose, as you said here in this radio program tonight, and it's something that cannot be reformed because it is a crime against humanity and, by definition, must be abolished. Thank you so much. Well, thank you, man. And reparations. Absolutely. You know, it's it's kind of funny because I was thinking about something. uh, a news reporter, and that's what I was going to tell you, Christian, if you were saying something that made me think about it. news reporter was talking about me, and he was saying, and he, and he, and he quotes me, because I'm in the report, and, 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 he, and he's talking about my case and things, and, he said, and Mr. Fogg never thought he would have to deal with it. And, and then they quote me, and I'm saying, I, I, never, I never thought it, it would affect me. I never did. I thought... I just thought I could get away, not deal with it. And then all of a sudden, he clicked and says, but it did. (laughs) Yes. And as we say at our common ground all the time, every black person has their come-to-Jesus moment on who they are in this country. Right. What? Whether it's out in the street or whether it's a phone call from your child or whether your husband or your aunt or cousin or niece, it right. comes. So and we, we had say- better understand when the, when, the, when the last truck comes, they're coming for you. This is, this is not necessarily a conspiracy. It is a design. Right. Well, that is a conspiracy, but let me tell you something. Um, you know, I work EEO cases, and I've, I've represented a lot of people. I mean, I've won my case, 
in court, in federal court and everything. But I also had represented a lot of employees, federal workers, and people who filed discrimination. And I'm up to about 14 cases that I've won before the EOC commission arguing these cases. I mean, you know, we're using the civil rules of, uh, you know, federal federal civil rules, you know, procedures to, to, to handle these cases. So, I, you know, I got to be as, as a suit as a lawyer. And mm-hmm. it's amazing at the numbers of people when they end up filing a discrimination complaint are just so blown away because they didn't never think it would happen to them. They yes. thought that somehow that was something that everybody else was doing, but they wouldn't have to because somewhere in their minds they're thinking that their merits and everything is getting them to where they are. And and mm-hmm. as you said, and as we learn in this type of environment, in this type of institution, at some point it's going to knock on your door because it's as American as apple pie. It is a way of life for America to be, to have the, the this sort of bias. A racial divide. America is a very divided country. You know, it's funny because I hear people talk about Trump, and I got to laugh because I'm like, I mean, look, Trump is a Trojan horse. Trump is really not the person that we're hearing all that stuff that he's saying and everything. Because let me tell you something. It's the dangerous ones are the ones who don't say it. It's the ones who are quiet. That's why the Republican Party was so upset with him. Because he was saying all the stuff they've been thinking all along. They just never said. Mm-hmm. They always pretend mm-hmm. like we're, they're something else, and they're not. It reminds me of this legislation, some of this legislation that we get through. Like, I remember this one bill that was called the Fair Justice Act. And they always put a, they always put a name on the legislation that is very deceptive, the Fair Justice Act. And it turned out to be one of the most unfair justice acts you could ever have. But they call it the fair justice act. <laughs> mm-hmm, and so mm-hmm. that's what the same thing with America. I'm seeing the fact that Trump is coming out saying, oh, we're going to build a wall and we're going to just Let me tell you something. There's a lot of stuff that Trump is saying. That's why the Republican Party is so upset with him because they realize he ain't, first thing, he probably ain't really even about all of that stuff. But he's saying a lot of stuff. And we get caught up into it. And I'm like, Man, with somebody saying something like that, that's not the person I'm concerned about. I'm just concerned about them ones who, like I said, cut a war on drugs behind, you know, behind closed doors and pretend like we we out here trying mm-hmm. to make America safe and, and and make America right and keep people from using drugs. But the real reality of it was we wanted something that, that we could use to go out and enslave uh, black folks to put them in prison and, and build this industrial prison complex and everything else that we have done. That's what that was all about. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, you, you know, it's really interesting. It. Huh? It, 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 it is very interesting that it was after chain gangs in the South were disbanded that private prisons and this new system of 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 filling these private prisons with the new era right. of of, uh, of uh, convicts uh, 
for capital. It's all about capitalism. And the and, uh, neoliberal fixes aren't, aren't working and they aren't intended to work. Then we right. have this problem of black misleadership that is not standing up and giving people the kind of information that they need and the kind of advocacy that they voted for to somehow set up a firewall in our, for our community. That's and right. Max will prob- Max know. Parthas will probably tell you the firewall wouldn't work anyway. <laughs> so how well, do we be- <laughs> how do we even begin to dismantle and destroy? I, I just want to mention though on what you said earlier, uh, Sister Graham, is the convict leasing program ended in 1928, allegedly, with Alabama being the last to use that. But Unicor began in 1934. Right. Unicor is now a billion-dollar-a-year industry doing nothing Absolutely. but using prison slave labor. Yes, right. See, so you know what I call it? See, this is the term y'all can use this one. I call it the mutating germ effect. I said, every time... When, when you're dealing with an institution where the leopard doesn't change its stripes, as I say, first thing we understand, slavery, slavery was created in America when they were running away from another country against tyranny and... She went where she was there for. She knew where her bread was buttered and it wasn't in the ghetto. She comes, you know... And we all know how easy it is. We've all talked to, we've all talked to, you know, to a large extent about how easy it is to, to just neutralize, you know, not not just black people. We're talking about poor people, people who are disproportionately poor. You know what that takes. But what really struck me in terms of you have this woman who is still being investigated by the FBI, and you have Barack Obama basically coming out and saying, "Leave her alone." And it, 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 it's so ironic when you consider the fact that Obama himself was a community organi- organizer, and 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 from what I can tell, not necessarily a, a very effective one. But there was a CNN documentary I mentioned earlier that they played, like in 2008-2009, when Obama was when Obama was either had become president or, or shortly before he became president, and it had him at this community meeting, and the people were going back and forth, and he wanted this one older woman to speak, and you saw him in the back of the room just screaming, "Let her speak! Let her speak!" There you are, Barack Obama screaming. So as a community organizer, who was a community organizer who was much older than these kids are, than a lot of these kids are right now, but, you know, but you're telling us to be quiet. And the thing that, the other thing that got to me is that, you know, when LGBT activists interrupted both him and his wife, when, when, you, had, and when you had immigration activists yell at him and, and, and you had kids in schools interrupt him and say, yes, we can, as a form of advocacy in terms of immigration, um, and what he needed to do on immigration. He never said you all should just, you know, should basically stop doing that and get in the room. He, he never really said that. They were never chastised in that way. And to me, this is just his parting blow. This is what he's always done. This is the same guy who got in the room at the Congressional Black Caucus. Now, I'm not a big fan of the Congressional Black Caucus. I think they're part of the problem. They're part of the blackness leadership. They're blackness leadership functionaries. But he got in the room with, like, former Black Panthers, John Lewis, who was a civil rights activist. And he told these people, remember, you know, you need to march with me. Put your, take your bedroom shoes off or Take whatever. your bedroom shoes off. Yes, and put your march shoes on. Now, you, that's just how you talk to the CBC. And, but this is how, these are people who actually did march. And then people who are being activists today, this is how you talk to them. But you don't talk to anybody else that way. So, I mean, I think the guy just, you know, I've said this before, and I take slack for it, but he doesn't really 
care for African Americans or the African American tradition. He wants. I think he has know, a visceral contempt for black people. I without a doubt. I think he has I've a pathological contempt for poor black people. He seems to do well yep. with the elites. Yeah, like, I think he has an affinity with the elites because he's one, but I think he has a very, very profound contempt for poor and working-class black folk. Right, yeah, I'm with you on that. And I think the Morehouse speech speaks about that wholeheartedly. Right, that's why I'm saying that I think the criticism is set up in a way where Hillary becomes the alternative to it. I mean, you've got to remember, this is Obama's endorsing a person who, when she ran against him, said that America is not ready for a black president and black leadership. Obama's endorsing a person that amidst police brutality and shootings is saying that don't you really know that black men in hoodies are dangerous, right? So if this is the conversation and that's what Obama's endorsing, then he sees himself as separate from those conversations or at least unaffected by it. And I think that's a very, very dangerous message uh, to be given a, a nation where you have this increase of anti-black violence and poverty. Because Obama's not Obama's leaving the White House, so he doesn't really have any other alternatives to give black people, you know, unless he you know, these pardons go through. So outside of that, then the only way that you can get any kind of traction is gonna be the black community believing that Obama is co signing with Hillary Clinton. And again, this is what I'm saying about the product placement. We don't have black intellectuals and activists who are criticizing the relationship between Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton. We don't have black intellectuals that are criticizing Obama besides the fact that, you know, besides when they don't get the policies or the benefits they want, on the way that he separated and created a class division between black elites, academics, lawyers, politicians, etc., and the black poor. That's not part of the discussion. So Hillary Clinton becomes this kind of perfection of how that hope's going to be realized. You're moving from race to a white woman who claims herself to be a feminist. This is popular culture for equality, and even black people can get on board with that. And that's a huge problem given the concrete and material conditions that are affecting our people. But here, here, here is something that I find very curious, <coughs> that most black people who are paying attention have listened to this interview and people aren't angry about it. We figure we are the masses, man. We protect each other. Find strength in numbers because look, when we run, ain't no white man going to be able to stop us. You're a troublemaker, and you got the itch. You're playing something. Transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. And now, Janice Graham.
Yes. You have no sound. Janice, I can't hear you. I can hear my voice coming over the airways, however, so I would have to think of this technical difficulty. Oh, you know why? I've been talking and talking and talking, and I was on mute. I so apologize. Uh, All that talking I did, and and I was really asking the question, uh, how are we to behave in being able, I was talking about Ed Brown and, and the Dukakis um, uh, campaign and the Democratic Party. I apologize to everyone. This is why I never put my my mic on, on mute. Um, I had it on mute during the uh, clip. So my question is, how do we create, with with so much voter suppression going on, it is still considered that the black vote will take whoever is the Democratic nominee over the edge. So how do we create a force to ensure that if this nominee is not Bernie Sanders, that the issues that resonate in, that he has raised that resonate in our community remain forceful uh, um, uh, issues and that the issues that we see coming out of our community, including uh, Black Lives Matter and other organizations like the 21st Century Institute for the 21st Century, and I want to talk about that earlier. How do we how do we formulate the force and the power that we do have on this side of the election of the campaign? Yes, you are on the air. You're messing up my broadcast, Alpha. Speak up. Well, I didn't know whether I was on the air or not. Uh, Listen, a few years ago. It's hard for us. Can you turn your mic up? It's hard for us to hear you. You can't hear me? No. I can hear you, but you're you're so Uh low that... Alpha, get it together here. Come on. 
I've done nothing different. I just called in. There's no mic on my cell phone to turn it up. There's no volume button. I've done okay. nothing different. Well, people are saying that there's dead air. Rasheed, can you let me know whether or not you have dead air? Alpha, just talk, would you please? You're giving me a lot of dead uh dead just talk. Okay, I can hear you now. Now I said this back during Occupy Wall Street. We want to at this point we want I wasn't to say, talking about Occupy Wall Street. No, no. What you were talking about is how do we change the narrative, how do we reach the people we need to reach to get a better outcome. All I've heard of people who are and will rightfully so criticize Hillary Clinton. You criticize Hillary Clinton all you want. I am a Bernie Sanders person. And the one reason Bernie Sanders is staying in the race at this point is to drag the Democratic Party back over to the left. We have to understand what's happened here and what's going on. There's no third party that's going to jump in right now and change anything. But we, but what this I'm party. saying, Alpha, is this. Give me a chance to uh, – you missed my whole intro into this because I had my, my mic on mute, and I apologize oh. again. Okay. I am saying – that unless black voters who support Hillary, who support the Democratic Committee, and I went through all these statistics and and stuff, I mean, um, you know, the history of where are black people going to go. Uh, I was talking about Michael Daw- Daw- Dawson's um, – I was talking about Michael Dawson's uh, book, Behind the Mule, Race and Class in African-American Politics, where he, author, where he argued that black people vote in a block because they have this sense of we are all in this thing together. They vote not individually, but they vote as a collective. They prioritize the well-being of the group over their individual interests because history has shown we are all in this together. And what I'm saying within the Democratic Party with the with the power and 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 numbers that the Democratic Party relies upon for black people what do we do? And I'm trying to explain it to you the way I see it. And the way I see it is simply this. You must change. You must change the flow of the Democratic Party. You must change the Democratic Party. All of those Dinos, those Blue Dogs, those uh, Third Wave, because the Democratic Party has been co-opted, and now they are not really the Democratic Party. They are the Third Wave. There are a bunch of Republicans who call themselves no labels, third way, however you want to describe them. And this is what they have done, and this is what they are doing. We won't even begin to get to that point where the needs of the 
and the issues of black people will be addressed. You're not going to do it with a third party, with a green party. And, you know, I'm, I'm just... Well, I, 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 I think we all get there's not going to be a, 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 any kind of effective challenge from a third party at this point. But how so do we is, behave like a third party inside the Democratic Party? By challenging the Democratic Party at its core. The DNC, Debbie Wasserman, Debbie Wasserman Schultz could very easily lose her seat. The person who is challenging Debbie Wasserman Schultz right now is on the verge of so close to her. That race is very, very tight. And at this point, it's got to... Bernie Sanders is the only person speaking the language that many of us agree with. We may not be happy with his stance on guns and some of the other things, but he is the closest thing to who's going to bring the Democratic Party back to the left. Well, it's very clear to me, Alpho, that the Clinton machine has taken control and owned the media uh, in in this race, they have very successfully and very effectively convinced Democratic voters that Bernie cannot win. Alpha, you still there? I'm still here, and I heard what you said. And they've done it with by the DNC having their thumb on the scale for, for Clinton. Well, look at. Washington Schultz is the head of the DNC. Look at all of the people who are backing Hillary Clinton, black, white, so-called Dinos, so-called progressives, and they feel like Hillary Clinton is it. And I'll tell you like this, she is it. Because without, if you don't have Hillary Clinton, you're going to have Donald Trump. The lesser of two evils is less evil. And for right now, because we haven't done the, the necessary things that we need to do, the Democratic Party, if we don't change the Democratic Party, the rest is just down the chute. We can well, sit and, I mean, and talk about it all we want. All of those things are pretty obvious. And, and what I'm trying to get to is within the infrastructure of the Democratic National Committee, where do we start? You know, Hillary Clinton has done very little black media. And by the way, I want to tell you that I took a look at the the top uh, talk show audiences in, in April 2016, and there is not one black talk show host on that list. These are radio audiences. And I'm not um, it, it's, very dis- it, it's very disturbing. I'm not so, surprised. So, so, so where, I mean, generally when you want to infiltrate, infiltrate messages, political messages, that is where you do it. And by the way, I don't know, Alpha, if you 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 probably know because you're a news junkie. But for those of you out there, uh, 
Joanne Reed has been given the spot on MSNBC on Saturday and Sunday, previously held by Melissa Harris Perry. And she started today. Well, you know, even in the MSNBC presentation of a documentary that was hosted by uh, uh, Chris Matthews, Joanne Reed is one of the key moderators in the Hillary Clinton documentary. So the question is, how do you begin, how do black people begin? I mean, all these people who are going around the Hillary and it's only about a president. It is not only about a president, uh, a candidate. It is also about the agenda and the platform in which the candidate stands. So how do we begin to change, infiltrate, impact the platform for that Hillary Clinton stands on? Because on the issues that are important to us, she hasn't said very much. She hasn't said, um, you know, the idea, she hasn't said very much or details about anything. Where do we agree. begin? I agree. We, for, for me, my opinion is simply this. If you are not willing to go in to try to change the Democratic Party, period, if you, people like Debbie Wasserman Schultz should be voted out. She's being primary now, and the race is close. This is where you start. You start by voting her out. Donna Edwards lost to... Uh, I forget the guy's name, but he used to be the head of the DNC. Now, black people in Maryland could have, he got a lot of black votes. And see, that's where people well, don't understand. Well, you know, I didn't understand why the Congressional Black Caucus didn't support her for that seat. Um, and I kept reading lots of reports on Donna on, on Donna Edwards uh, about her having some constituency relations problems. But it is glaring that Maryland voted for Hillary Clinton but didn't vote. I mean, all these people who say this is about the the, the neo-feminist agenda that uh, Hillary carries, that they didn't vote for Donna Edwards as well. Exactly. That's my point exactly. Unless we can get in to the Democratic underdog, unless we purge ourselves of the blue dogs and the third way and the no labels Democrats, the Wall Street Democrats, we're just we're pushing big stones to yeah. boulder up the up the hill. Yeah. And I want to get to some. Right I really want to get to some answers uh, on this one, and I think our friend uh, Lauren Burke, uh, uh, Lauren Victoria Burke of three forty six, three fifty six, whatever. I'm sorry, I didn't mean for whatever. Uh, in here to talk about this, Alpha, I'm okay. going to. I'm going to put you on mute. Is that what you want me to do? Because I got to go to another call. Okay. You got a part. You got a part. Parting solution here. No. I give, I, I give him my solution. 
Either, either that'll happen or the people who are angry with Hillary Clinton, the FBI's investigating the FBI, she ain't going to be sit back and watch Trump become president. Then yeah. tell me about your problems. Yeah. Thank you, Jim. I'm going to put you Okay, thank you, Alpha, and you get better so you can get back on Friday nights on TruthWorks. 646, you're on the air. I respect you. Thank you for your call. Hey, BJ, I respect you. It's Jay. Hey, Jay, good evening. Listen, listen, let me me, me, me scoop you to what happened with um, Sister Donna Edwards. You live in Maryland? No, but I, I know what's going on. Uh-huh. I'm going to tell you what's going on. Listen, you know, you don't want me talking about that pig Joy Ann Reed, so let me be gay. All right? Now, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, you know who, when you start well, calling no, 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 okay, okay, BJ, okay, I'm going to behave. behave. I'm telling you, I'm going to behave. The, what happened with Edwards was she was very critical of um, Obama and some of the things that he was doing um, in regards to um, what he did to Libya and what was going on in Iraq. So he didn't get her total support like she was supposed to in regards to, um, you know, being a good puppet. Um, So the CBC basically punished her. They basically um, didn't support her. I think maybe four of the members may have supported her, and then the others, the others just, you know, basically, um, you know, said the heck with her and um, went yeah. for the Neanderthal. So, you know, the thing, the thing boils down to this is the CBC and all of those Negroes really don't have no agenda nor no love for black people. You know, they they just basically there to get that pension, to get any money that they can. And just go about the business of supporting old boy Obama. See, we as a people don't really understand politics and what well, you know, really Jay, at stake. I, I always have a problem with people who say we as a people don't know. Um, but we don't. We wouldn't behave the way we do. I mean, think about it. Why would any African person? who understands the relationship that Gaddafi had with Africa and what he was trying to do and the relationship that he had with his people in Libya would ever vote for Hillary Clinton based on what she did to him. I mean, see, that that's how I say it. Because whatever you want to say about Gaddafi, Everything that we supposedly preach in this hellhole of a country, he did. Well, His the whispering over in the State Department. Totally. The, the whispering over in the State Department is they're all over there thinking that was a really bad move. We wish we had Gaddafi back. Yeah, but the thing was, she was the one who pushed it. She was the one who sat at the Oval Office and had a smile on her face like she just had orgasm. I mean, that was that. that's just the fact of the matter. But, but see, we as a people don't want to accept these things about the slave master's wife. We don't, we don't want to accept that she's as 
evil and wicked as she is because you got people like Joanne Reed, um, Donna Brazil, and the rest of them who get on TV and basically lie to us every single day about the greatness of that Neanderthal. I'll leave you with you this. Know, but th- there's, there's, another, there's another part of that in that we have black media, since you're talking about black media and black political consultants, uh, we have black media who want to play the game of being on both sides of the fence. That is part of the problem of black misleadership, that they they speak with forked tongue. All the time. All the time. But you know what the thing that gets me, BJ, is, these Negroes was just so happy to be in the room that they even accept getting less money than the Neanderthals get for doing more hard work than the Neanderthals. You're, it's amazing how right. they don't collectively stand up and moan and groan about how the type of money that black consultants get is far less than what white consultants get, how black media gets none of the money you understand, and got to basically beg to get them on their yeah. stations if they can. And then we are saying that we're part of this whole but, whole equation. It, it, it's just absolutely, but, it's madness. But, but I got to tell you this story right quick because it's important. You it's got to be guy, real quick. It, it is. Barari, I think his name is Barari Sellers that's on CNN as a contributor. He got on there and said, that Hillary Clinton He's from South Carolina, right? Right, right, yeah. He's He's one of those. Uh He got on and said that Hillary Clinton supported Barack Obama immediately once she seen that she couldn't get the nomination, which is a blatant lie. Hillary Clinton made, 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 I used it three times, Barack Obama pay off her debt and give her that position as Secretary of State so that she would then be able to be in the position that she's in right now. And nobody corrected that clown. And you got another dangerous one that's even worse, Angela Rock. She's a real dangerous one, who daddy was caught up in thievery out there in Seattle. <laughs> so these people that's on television, they have no principle, no character, or nothing. They're like basically whores for for a pimp, and the pimp is Hillary Clinton. And my sister, I will try and behave on your page in regards <laughs> to Joy Airy. I love you, and I'll talk to you soon. Be good, my okay, dear. Jay, thank you. You know, I do have to say I have been super surprised at, Joanne Reed's lack of of uh, objectivity in regard to uh, this uh, in regard to Hillary Clinton. I, I have been super surprised. I have watched her career uh, when I was a broadcaster in South Florida, and I have watched her career. And since she when she came to the Miami Herald as a young reporter. She was always so precise, and she has been precise up until 
she married MSNBC. I don't know what happened. Our number is 347-838-9852. We're going to switch off here. We don't have any more calls on this one. And when we come back, we're going to um, look at how Beyonce and what it's all about. I know you all don't know uh, because last Sunday night, uh, one of these nights, yeah, Sunday night, I positioned myself on my in my luxury relaxation chair with my hard ginger ale and some crackers and cheese, and I was waiting for the season opening of Game of Thrones because I'm a big throner, and. I was afraid somebody might touch the TV and take it off HBO, so I just sat there. And all of a sudden, this lemonade thing came on with Beyonce, and I had been reading and checking Facebook and Twitter, and I was seeing people talking about the lemonade thing, but I didn't know it was going to be on HBO. Damn! <laughs> We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to go with the lemonade. Get your glasses out, because I'm going to be serving your understanding of what it's all about, because I was confused as hell. I will tell you, I was looking at this thing and saying, what the heck is this all about? You're listening to Our Common Ground. We'll be right back. Because our society is only as strong as all its individuals, the United Negro College Fund has helped educate thousands of doctors and researchers, but we need more. Thousands of architects and engineers, but we need more. Thousands of teachers and biologists, but we need more. And when disease, injustice, pollution, poverty, and countless other problems threaten to pull us apart, we had better educate every single person who has the potential to solve our problems. And to educate more people, we need more of your help. Give to the United Negro College Fund. With so much at stake, a mind is a terrible thing to waste. Clear shell. Real. Raw. Right now. Tuesdays. 9 p.m., the I Declare show with India Declare. She brings it real, raw, and right now. The home of real, raw, right now talk media. And indeed, as we always say, I declare it. India Declare, real, raw, and right now. I Declare, Tuesdays, 9 p.m., Blog Talk Radio, the I Declare show. No no doubt. Our Common Ground, transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time.
empowering black America to achieve. Thank you for being here with us at our common ground tonight. We thank Alpha for his call. I am I, I'm telling you, I am missing Alpha so much because he catches the nuance of what's going on politically. And there's so much stuff happening at one time. Last week we were talking with um Pascal Robert, Yvette Carnell and Tommy Curry about this whole incident where the president steps up and says that Black Lives Matter got to do more than yell. And everything that a president does is a political move. And it was very, very disturbing because it was something that was thrown out there in support of the Hillary campaign to kind of break up the a differential tension that was going on around I just checked my mic to make sure it was not muted. Uh, going on around between the Bernie camp and the Hillary camp. Um and it was very very interesting. Our number is 347-838-9852. Thank you for being with us here tonight on Open Mic Saturday night. It's your chance to get in, but if you did not see but you read about this lemonade thing with Beyonce. I mean, it was after the unfortunate fish, I call it the fishnet stocking revolution, the formation video. She released uh, a one-hour video album. There's one song on there. I do want to tell you there's one song on there. Uh, that I really do like, and it's a song about freedom. She's talking about freedom in terms of freedom uh, from the problems of her marriage, and I'm thinking about the song in a different way. But here's a report about this in case you do not understand what this Lemonade thing is all about. And we invite your calls. Get on the board now, 347-838-9852. This is Our Common Ground. Beyonce dropped a new album this past weekend, releasing Lemonade. The visual album is filled with celebrity appearances and weaved with powerful social justice commentary. But what's setting the internet on fire is speculation that the lyrics are about her own marriage and the suggestion of an affair. Here's ABC's Chief Business Economics and Technology Correspondent, Rebecca Jarvis. With one swing of the bat, was worse, looking jealous or crazy. Beyonce shattered expectations of her much-anticipated album, Lemonade. In an hour-long visual spectacle this weekend on HBO. Jammed with guest appearances from Serena Williams dancing and twerking and model Winnie Harlow, known for challenging the fashion world's take on what is considered beauty by confidently revealing her own skin disease to her own husband, Jay-Z, and an ode to the Black Lives Matter movement, haunting images of mothers holding portraits of the sons they lost. But what everyone is talking about is how personal some of the lyrics seem to be. On the track, Sorry, Beyonce sings about a woman she says cheated with her man. You better call Ricky with the good help. 
the internet on fire over who Becky is. So when this Instagram post by fashion designer Rachel Roy appeared, the internet buzzed with speculation. The caption saying, good hair, don't care, but we will take good lighting for selfies or self-truths always. What some saw as cracks in Beyonce's marriage to Jay-Z were also center stage over a year ago in that infamous elevator incident obtained by TMZ, showing Beyonce's sister, Solange Knowles, lashing out at Jay while Beyonce stands by. In the aftermath, the trio released this statement. Jay and Solange each assume their share of responsibility for what has occurred. They both acknowledge their role in this private matter that has played out in the public. They both have apologized to each other, and we have moved forward as a united family. On the blog Bustle, Erica Turner writes, the album is a true celebration of black women. We are used to having the experiences of white women and the experiences of, of people who are white centralized. And I think what Beyonce is saying, no, 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 no. I'm going to centralize black women. This weekend, fans took to social media to express just how they feel about the controversy, even turning on Roy to defend their Queen Bay. The fashion designer, who has not indicated any relationship with Jay-Z, had had enough by Sunday afternoon, tweeting, I respect love, marriages, families, and strength. What shouldn't be tolerated by anyone, no matter what, is bullying of any kind. I met Roy last year at her Manhattan studio as she was preparing her new line. Her designs have been worn by Michelle Obama and plenty of Hollywood fashionistas. Every celebrity out there, Kate Hudson, Kim Kardashian, Gwyneth Paltrow, they have all been photographed in your clothes. That must feel amazing. It absolutely does feel amazing. Rachel is part of Kim Kardashian's inner circle, toasting her engagement to Kanye West on Keeping Up with the Kardashians. Both of you are such an example of love. Requests for comment from Beyonce, Jay-Z, and Roy have gone unanswered. But back to the music. Beyonce's album got a massive kickoff at the Super Bowl. Beyonce making the infectious beat of formation free to fans on title. The streaming service partially owned by husband Jay-Z. But Beyonce's Lemonade did not come for free. It first hit title exclusively on Saturday night. Sunday at midnight, music fans using other services could purchase the album on iTunes for $17.99. Beyonce's move to title is part of the ongoing streaming wars for exclusivity cutting deals with artists to release their music ahead of other streaming services that provide the music to the fans, like Spotify and iTunes. Having any kind of Beyonce exclusive is a big deal for anyone. She's arguably the biggest artist in the entire world right now. Beyonce is a shareholder in Tidal. I think a Beyonce album was something that she has an interest in. It is an artist-owned company. Wars heated up in 2014 when Taylor Swift left a blank space on Spotify, pulling all of her music from the streaming music site. And for those trying to reminisce about Prince's legendary Purple Rain this weekend, they had to go to Tidal as well, since Prince also famously pulled his music off Spotify, but by midnight on Sunday, Beyonce released Lemonade to iTunes, and in just a few hours, it skyrocketed to number one. 
For Beyonce, none of the rules matter. All she needs to be able to do is get her music to people in a way that will benefit her as much as possible. Over the weekend, the album going viral. Hashtag Lemonade trending number one worldwide. Everybody wants to know what Beyonce feels. Everybody wants to know what Beyonce is experiencing. And Beyonce is saying, okay, this is what black women are feeling. This is what black women are experiencing. Watch them. And bringing back hashtag black girl magic. Once again, empowering black women. Hashtag black girl magic is really about celebrating everyday power um, and the everyday sort of resilience of black women. If the early tracks of Lemonade feel bitter, it's eventually sweetened with the cut all night. Home movies of Beyonce and Jay-Z's wedding, the couple celebrating a birthday of their daughter, Blue Ivy, and footage of Jay-Z playing with her on the football field. And for the woman who's not done a major televised interview in years, Beyonce is able to control her own narrative, speaking to her fans through her lyrics and making art at the same time. For Nightline, I'm Rebecca Jarvis in New York. Well, I just have to, let, let me go through this. Now, you all know that it, it's very rare for me to do anything on pop culture. But by the response of black women on Melissa Harris Perry uh, in Elle magazine had about, I would say, 30 scholars, black women scholars, talking about this this video as though it was uh, the second coming of the miseducation of the Negro. And so I, I just... But let me let me I digress because the first time that I watched it, I simply had no contextual understanding of what is this. There were some beautiful images, the songs and the poetry was like sounded crazy. So of course I started researching. What is this all about? What is she trying to do? What does she say she's doing? But um, my feelings about Lemonade and a lot about Beyonce in general, especially around her formation and my relationship with my granddaughter, who is a member of the Bay Beehive, um, or Beehive, however they say it, and my daughter. So keep in mind that I'm not a Beyonce hater. I I really think she's a beautiful, savvy, and exceptional performer. Her l lyrics, in my mind, when I catch them, um, they're a little bit shallow. But anyway, I have watched Lemonade twice. I hated it the first time. I was just so totally, I don't know what this is about. Uh, I know she had her husband in the end, and I was trying to figure it out. It's done in, in six segments, and the segments are the segments of grief. You know, those things, those stages that you go through in grief. So 
but it but it started with me with with the formation and the Super Bowl performance and and now with this lemonade. Beyonce really has been doing this very curious kind of thing of reinforcing a color hierarchy by using groups of darker skinned women, similarly styled women with afros or some other natural hair as background noise to her flowing locks. In formation, uh, the video and Super Bowl show, um, Beyonce doesn't place herself in community with those women that she has in her video. So this color thing started striking me in the Super Bowl performance. In Lemonade, she does this on the bus with darker women and the body paint and various African hairstyles. I had to have somebody explain that to me, and unfortunately my daughter and granddaughter knew of the dance, the, the performance troupe from Paris. Those were women from Paris. Uh, they had been to one of their concerts. And then there's this media thing around Lemonade, which really is portraying the video album as um, her, as Beyonce working through issues of infidelity. Now, when I started reading all of this stuff, it all started coming together for me because I just had no no idea. Uh, What was striking, uh, she takes... Uh, Serena Williams is in this video, one of the best athletes in the world, and she too is a dark-skinned woman. Um, She is frequently, by the media, referred to as mannish. And there is Serena, I I mean, imagine for a minute me watching this thing on my 60-inch screen TV curved TV, and I'm sitting right in the middle of it because, of course, I'm working for Games of Thrones, and there is Serena Williams twerking and doing body rolls, sitting on a throne, um, and, and people have argued that Beyonce is giving props to Serena because at one point she drapes herself over the throne. This throne is a chair, you understand, the way Serena did on her Sports Illustrated cover. Uh, Finally, you know, there's this antebellum imagery, which is absolutely beautiful. Don't know our history, who don't know the the transatlantic slave history in the Louisiana um, area geography. It could be confusing, and it's romanticized, and I find that kind of struggling. And, and in that frame, I mean, you got to understand, this thing is an hour long. If if you see Beyonce sitting in the center of a group of darker women, and she's fanning herself. So, yes, Beyonce is real black in this thing. She's She's enraged and... It is kind of. Let me give you an idea. Some of the some of the the uh, lyrics in this. Uh, one of the lyrics is, "So what are you going to say at my funeral now that you've killed me? Here lies the body of the love of my life, whose heart I broke without a gun to my head. Here lies the mother of my children, both living and dead. Rest in peace, my true lover, who I took for granted." And those are lyrics of that section when. 
and and in the video she jumps off a high rise building uh and you you have to listen to the lyrics um then another lyric is looking at my watch he should have been home today i regret the night i put that ring on he always got them effing excuses so as a listener you have to really brace yourself because this is only be the beginning when it comes to the topic of of cheating the thing that i did understand in the the first viewing was there's a lyric that says he only want me when i'm not there he better call becky with the good hair you might ask who is becky I knew who Becky was with the good hair. I mean, I didn't know the person, but I know I know of that reference. I don't know if any of you know of that reference. If you do, our number is 347-838-9852 because that was one part of it that my daughter had to check with me about. Okay, and that's talking about possibly a woman, a white woman that her husband had Jay-Z had a relationship with. And then she has another, you know, her single single ladies. Well, there's another part of the of the video album where she the the lyrics is middle fingers up, put them hands high, wave it in his face, tell him boy bye, tell him boy bye, middle fingers up. I ain't thinking about you. I mean, this thing goes on and on and on, and there are women in our community who think that this is this equal to the Hallelujah Chorus of the Mount of Olives. Uh, one of the lyrics is, ashes to ashes, dust to side chicks. And while she's singing the song, that song where those lyrics are, she has this baseball bat, and she's going through the street, and she's bashing out a window of a car. Um, and, you know, and one of the lyrics that I really did have an appreciation for was my grandma said, you know, I had to read the, the lyrics because otherwise I would have just been totally lost. My grandma said, nothing real can be threatened. True love brought salvation back into me. With every tear came redemption, and my torturer became my remedy. Now, in that lyric, I got concerned. Because that is what battered women always say, in this pain. I'm going to stay with him because in this pain, it will heal me. How many of you saw this thing? Our number is 347-838-9852. And I, I think it's important. <clears throat> I, I, I think it's very important because we have young sisters who are learning lessons to this one hour of this raging Beyonce. I mean, she's burning up the house and doing, knocking out windows in a car with a baseball bat and celebrating and saying that this is my freedom. 
Um, and I, I just, I find it disturbing. So it's on the table. If you'd like to talk with us, we're going to move right now into, I don't know how many of you, um, how many of you understand the implications of the sentencing of former House Speaker Dennis Hastert, who less than a decade ago stood second in line to the presidency, and he was sentenced to 15 months in federal prison Wednesday for a bank fraud case. But the bank fraud links is linked to allegations and testimonies that he was that he was sexually abusing teen boys as a coach more than 30 years ago. And I'm I'm going to play this um this news clip for you and like to get your 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 check on it because the first thing when I heard he was he was convicted for 15 years, uh, 15 months, I was beside myself with rage. Because if you will recall, in Chicago, three years ago, a young man, 19 years old, was conv- convicted and sentenced to 25 years in prison for shooting and killing a dog. Here it is. Mighty and humiliating fall, Dennis Hastert, once one of the most powerful men in the country and second in line for the presidency, faced a blistering dressing down from an angry federal judge in Chicago today as he publicly confronted a shameful past and was sentenced to prison. Hastert was convicted of a financial crime, but it was part of a scheme to mask something more egregious his molestation of children. And today he came face to face with one of his alleged victims. NBC's Stephanie Gosk was there. Former Speaker of the House Dennis Hastert arrived at Chicago's federal courthouse today in a wheelchair. His lawyers argued that his poor health should keep him out of prison. But the judge was unsparing, saying of Hastert, nothing is more stunning than having serial child molester and Speaker of the House in the same sentence. Hastert was sentenced to 15 months in prison, followed by two years of supervised release for illegally structuring cash withdrawals. Hush money used to pay a man who says Hastert sexually abused him when he was 14 years old. The statute of limitations on the alleged sexual abuse has expired. But Judge Thomas Durkin considered the allegations in giving Hastert nearly three times the original sentencing recommendation from the federal prosecutor. The lawyer for the alleged victim reacted to the sentence. They worked hard to get at the truth, and, and eventually I think they got there. Scott Cross also wrestled for the Yorkville team, now a 53-year-old businessman and a father of two. He was referred to as Individual D by federal prosecutors until speaking out in court today. After decades of unfathomable silence, he stood up and spoke the truth. At times breaking down with emotion, Cross told the judge that Coach Hastert sexually abused me my senior year of high school. He said he never told anyone about his darkest secret. Even as his brother Tom would become the leader of the GOP in Illinois, closely mentored by Dennis Hastert. 
The former speaker actually reached out to Tom Cross for a character reference to be used in today's sentencing hearing, but that reference was never sent. The sister of Stephen Reinbold, another alleged victim, also spoke today in court. Her brother died of AIDS in 1995. It wasn't just Steve making up the story. So it's validation? Absolutely. Today in court, the judge asked Haster directly about Reinbold. So did you sexually abuse him? Yes. Standing to deliver a statement in a shaky voice, Hastert said, I wanted to apologize to the boys I mistreated when I was their coach. Still, the judge issued a harsh rebuke, concluding in his words that some actions can obliterate a lifetime of good works. In a statement, Hastert's lawyer says his client accepts the sentence and hopes he can now focus on his health and fixing the emotional damage he's done to family and friends. So far, authorities have yet to identify the prison where he will serve his time. Lester. All right, Stephanie Gustin. Hey, NBC News fans, thanks for checking out our YouTube channel. Subscribe by clicking on that button down here and click on it. And that is in, if you reflect upon the number of men and women in our communities who receive outrageous you know, the statute of limitation on the sexual um, uh, molestation uh, and assault case had run out. And this really was about bank fraud. So 15 months was excessive in the sense of the case that was brought. But somebody had to know about this when it happened, when it was inside the limitations, the borders of the of the statue. Somebody had to know about it. But we ought to be concerned because we have, you have a brother or sister, a neighbor, a uncle, a nephew or niece that's sitting in a jail or in a prison right now under mandatory minimum sentencing, serving 20, 15, 30 years for nonviolent crimes where um, I, I can never say that any drug crime, every drug crime is, 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 is not harmful. They are certainly harmful. And, but um, our judicial system is upside down, and 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 we are not engaged as a people in the advocacy groups that are trying to write it. I was looking at a publication. I read a publication called Race and Racism. Uh, I subscribe to it in written form. And they provide a listing of publications every quarter. It's a quarterly. And they provide uh, a listing of publications. And if you look at the authors of the people who are doing the research, who are writing about the issues of justice, social justice, the uh, legal profession, uh, the inadequacies of the legal profession, the um, impediments in the legal profession, if you look at the scholars who are writing about changing public policy, 
It is not us. We are writing blogs about lemonade. We are writing blogs about some silly nonsense about the neo-feminist leaning of Hillary Clinton. Or some argument that Bill Clinton had with, essentially to him, a child. A shouting match that he had with a child. Or concerned about Chelsea Clinton and whether or not her $1.7 million condo in New York City is an indication of whether or not she finds the, the, the idea of money important. We have got to do better. I am sorry. You know, I don't like to come on here talking about, and I just admonished Jay about this, uh, saying <clears throat> that we have a problem. I, I, I don't, we, we do have problems. But I think we are in crisis, and we are not attending to those crises. We are not doing the work that it's going to change that that is going to change the way in which this society punishes or rewards our children changes the conditions of our housing um and going back to talk about Hillary Clinton one more time one of the people that she is considering as her uh, as her running mate is um, Julian Castro, the former mayor of San Antonio and now the Secretary of HUD. And they made him Secretary of HUD to prepare him to be her running mate. Well, he's done some things in the two years that he's been at the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development uh, running balls and carrying water for white developers and, and mayors across this country, that's pretty much going to put him, I think, out of the running. But a couple of weeks ago, all of the discussions that we have had on this program over the last four or five years about the the the, the punishment after prison for African-American people and what it means, for instance, if you are a felon, you cannot live with your mother in public housing. Well, all of a sudden, HUD changed that guideline last week after Castro, at the time that Castro was endorsing Hillary Clinton. But folks, here is the real thing. The real thing is it hasn't been changed on paper. Nothing matters in this government if it's not written in the federal registry. Can we get that squared away? We don't have people who are writing professional papers to help people like Castro, people like uh the people at, at, at Human Health, Health and Human Services. I was working on a case a couple of weeks ago uh, around the issue of uh, a, a, a mentally ill woman witnessed a killing, a street killing, drive-by shooting in front of her house. 
And in working on this case, I was thinking issue of violence in general, and I went looking, researching for what studies, what reports, what papers have been written about the impact of violence on people who are mentally ill. And every paper that I found useful, every publication that I found useful, every book that I found useful on the issue was written by a white person. And that is my concern. And that and, and and that is an indicator in my mind. I don't know about you, and you can call me. What, what's the number up in here? You can call me. You can call me at three four seven eight three eight nine eight five two and express your 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 understanding or your response to what I'm saying. We cannot use these airwaves. We cannot use black media to be saying the same thing that white media is saying about black people's problems. Otherwise, we wouldn't have to have a black media. We cannot afford for our black congressional representatives to be honing in and thinking through issues in the same way. We sent them there. We voted for these people. We voted for John Conyers and John Lewis and Elijah Cummings and Barbara Boxer and Maxine Waters because of their specialized, specific understanding and insight to our problems. And if they are responding to our problems, in the same way that everybody else is responding to our problems, then what do we have? We just have some more of the same. Some more of the same. We've only got a short um, bit of time, but we'll take your call, 312. You're on the air. I respect you. Hey, Janice, this is House. Thanks for taking the call. Hey, House. Thank you for being with us. Yeah, I hey, was I on wanna... the Karen Hunter show. I admit it. Uh, <laughs> 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 she hung up on me. <laughs> I, th- I, think, I think she, too, um, uh, recognized my after. I told her my name was Sophonia. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the legalization of marijuana. Um, and it was her, she has a segment, she has a, a Friday show, it calls uh, Friday Foolishness or something like that, but she was talking about marijuana legalization, so I decided to call in because they weren't talking about the real issues, and I think that we ha- are too easily bu- buying into the legalization of marijuana. I don't oppose it, I always supported it, but now I'm having second thoughts because there's some medical um, research that has come up um, that's new about how it affects children, teenagers, and the developing brain. So what do you t- what do you call? You want to talk about lemonade? 
uh, I, I don't know anything about Lemonade. I was doing so much stuff in Atlanta. I just got back to Chicago Wednesday. I was so out of it. I missed the primary election. I don't even know who won what by what margin. Uh, I was busy. Uh, so I don't know about yeah. Lemonade. Um, and, I, and I turned my series off. Uh, I didn't listen to Karen Hunter a lot anyway. I could just do a few minutes of her at a time. Um, well, Karen's a very smart woman. But, you know, this whole idea that she thinks that she can be progressive and be a Republican, too, I got news for her. It ain't happening. Right. That was the other point. Yeah, she is very right-leaning to me, and um, I can only take that that before a couple of minutes at a time. I can't do it, black or not. I can't do it. But I I just wanted to echo what Jay said earlier about why we get so um, distracted and why we don't get what we need from the black media um, is because these folks, they're happy to be in the room. They want to be yeah, invited. They're happy to they're have a job. Yeah, and, and that's it. And as long as that's their agenda and as long as that's good enough for them, we're not going to get anything else. We're not well, going to get you know, anything the, more. Yeah, you're, you're right. And, and, and we, we can empathize in many ways. Uh, but we've got to decide if freedom and liberation have more value than our paychecks. Well, right now, freedom and liberation is uh, just a few people um, being free and liberated from us, uh, basically, um, because we empower them uh, to have the little positions that they do, whether it's in media or the black political class or the black leadership class, as you call them. Um, you know, and those are the ones that are uh, keeping everybody else down. Yeah. They're not yeah. lifting anybody I, up. They're not bringing yeah. out anybody else up. Did, did I ever tell you the story about I had Minister Louis Farrakhan uh, on the program uh, in one of the radio stations that I worked worked in, and the owner of the radio station, who was never at the station, came into not only the radio station, came into the studio while I was still on air demanding that I hang up. And when I wouldn't hang up, um, he just stood there. And I was fired as soon as I came off the air. No. I, I never heard. Oh yeah, heard West Palm talk. Beach, Florida, WPOM. That's how they got you off the air talking to Louis Sheridan. Yep. Yep. Wow. No. And I, I had a but job within four hours. I, I can believe it. Um, <laughs> yeah. When you got a black man talking about um, black people doing for sales, um, that's the problem. Yeah, um, it really and is. That's that's why the Democratic Party has such a whole well. But, but here's a, here's another idea, house uh, music lover, which is why I love you and India Rashid and YJ and and Pat and Alpho um, and some and Loga uh, Michelle, uh, our regulars that are out there. Um, I hope I didn't miss anybody, but here and Jay, um, here is the reason why that happened. It happens because we allow it to happen. You and I both know that if, and I said this last week, if I went off the air tonight and said, hey, you can't listen to this show unless you pay a dollar, 
when nobody be here next Saturday night with Chauncey DeVega. Me and Chauncey DeVega. I show up. That's how we roll. And we've got to unlearn why we do that. That's true. I agree. I agree with you there. Yeah. And um, look, Randy Rhodes is doing that uh, that model. Um, I say you do it too. Um, she's getting back on air uh, using mm-hmm. that, um, that that paid membership model. Well, uh, you know, Norm say- Goldman does it, and and he he he's probably making. Uh, I mean, not him personally, but his company is probably taking in about $200,000 a year. But he was putting $50,000 a year out of his pocket. Right. right. Doing it free. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, Either way, which I, is why I, I, I stay on Blog all... Talk Radio because it's cheap. You know, <laughs> it's cheaper than that. Most of the technical difficulties that we have on, on Blog Talk Radio, we do it to ourselves like tonight. Uh, while I was running a clip, I put the phone on mute and, and forgot I had put it on mute. Alpha's done that. India's done And I don't think India's done that, but uh, we we have done it, you know. So um, even, you know, um, I have listeners who are always writing to me and saying to me, well, you should do a crowdfund or you should do something this and to raise money. Um I, I may do that, but, you know, one of the the best things that I'm hoping for is to get enough listeners so I can report enough listeners to, to get grants from the National uh, Public Radio Foundation. Hey, i got to go because I'm running out of time. Peace, Janice. Thanks for taking the call. Thanks for being with us, House, and thanks to all of you for being with us next week here at Our Common Ground. A respectable Negro. Chauncey DeVega will be with us, and we hope that you will as well. Go. I ain't ready to give up yet. My plan works. Funny thing about plans, they always change. Do whatever it takes to get her free. Thank you so much for joining us on Our Common Ground tonight. We'll be right here next Saturday night, 10 p.m., with our friend, the respectable Negro, Chauncey DeVega. We hope you'll join us. And don't forget, subscribe to us on Facebook. Follow us at JaniceOCG on Twitter. Like us all over the place. I'm Janice Grant, and I'll be listening for you. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. 
But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. 